Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. We're in the middle section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, namely chapter 6. We've seen that Matthew specified the audience of the sermon as Jesus' disciples. They're the ones who go up with him on the mountain. In chapter 5, after a relatively lengthy introduction, uh, Jesus has described the disciples' relationship to the world in general, that is, the outsiders. And then he's turned to the disciples' relationship to the law. It is common to see the law, particularly the Ten Commandments, as dividing up into two halves, our obligation to God, you think of like commandments one to four, and then also our obligations to one another, think commandments five to ten. We could also think of the two great commandments, to love the Lord your God and also to love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has a similar approach, though the order is switched. Upon reaching the body of the sermon, he begins with the disciples' obligations to one another in 521 to 48. And we talked about those in our uh, last episode. This unit is then concluded with uh, the statement, Therefore, you shall be perfect or complete as your Father in heaven is perfect or complete. Now, to say that these obligations are toward our neighbors doesn't mean that God is absent in the discussion in chapter 5. Instead, just the exact opposite is the case. These are highly theological. Similarly, the next unit, in which the focus is turned toward our obligations toward God, uh, is prominent. There still is going to be talk about how this affects one another. Uh, The difference is one of emphasis. Now, scholars have divided up chapter 6 in a number of ways. The chapter does seem to be a unit, since the material in chapter 7 kind of enters new territory. I think it's best to see the chapter as a simple chiasm. That's something that has the structure A, B, B, A. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1 is a nice transition. It mentions doing your righteousness. And we have a link then back to 520 with the necessity of your righteousness surpassing that of the scribes and Pharisees. But 6.1 is something of a heading for what follows. Beware about doing your righteousness before other people. The idea is that we are to do our acts of righteousness before God. 6.2-4 talk about doing mercy, a reference to almsgiving. The Lord then picks up another deed of righteousness in verses 5-18, to prayer. 6.19-34 then return to the first deed of righteousness and address the topic of money. The section, of course, is much longer than uh, 6, 2, 3, and 4. At first, the Lord talks about the necessity of giving without needing to be seen. And when he returns to the topic of finances, he talks about the real enemy of giving, our lack of faith in God's provision. So that's enough as far as uh, introduction is concerned. Let's actually read the portions in Matthew 6, which have to do with the important topic of uh, giving money. Starting in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father, who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, 
and your Father, who is in secret, will reward you. Now, as mentioned earlier, the Lord then talks about uh, prayer, and that's connected to fasting. And then he returns to financial considerations in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's jump in here with the first and shorter address concerning money in 6, 2 to 4. We have two pretty evenly balanced statements. In 2a, therefore, when you do your acts of mercy, parallels almost exactly with 3a, but when you do your acts of mercy. A prohibition follows each statement in the form of a hyperbole. 2b has, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now, we don't actually have any record of something like this happening, so Jesus is probably um, giving us a hyperbole. Now, 3b's hyperbole is, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, as if the two hands are talking to each other or something like that. Now, this presses matters farther than the previous element. Since it's hyperbole, it's hard to know uh, exactly how far this extends, but I think the idea is not only are we to avoid showing off in front of others to make ourselves look good in front of people, that is, blasting a trumpet as we're about to give our money, but we should also avoid showing off in front of ourselves as to convince ourselves that we look good, uh, i.e., don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Think about it this way, getting dressed up and looking your best in hopes that other people will ooh and ah and compliment you. But this often starts with shining our shoes and ironing our clothes and then standing in front of the mirror for a bit too long just to admire ourselves and think about how nice we look. So in this reading, the idea goes beyond avoiding doing things to be seen, but not making a big deal about it even in our own minds. We should just be content to give and not blow up our own ego in the process. Don't ruminate about how generous your last gift was to boost your own self-esteem. In 2C, they have their reward. 
The emphasis is on the past tense. We could overly translate it. They have already received their reward. There's nothing left for them in the future. In verse 4, we have the positive alternative, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice the logic of both of these halves. Uh, The Lord warns against giving to be seen because that means there will be no future reward. The Lord commends secret giving, so that way God will reward in the future. Something similar is found in the fasting section. Now, this gets further elaboration in verses 19 to 21, which we just read, talking about laying up for ourselves heavenly treasure. The idea can be found in passages like uh, Proverbs 19, 17. And I can't help but wonder if there's a quiet but purposeful allusion to that text here, which reads, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, this raises important questions. It makes me think things like, uh, should we do certain actions in order to be rewarded? And now, if we say just an outright no, then the logic of these verses falls apart. The idea is we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're doing certain actions because we know God will reward us at the proper time. Some moral philosophers might object to this uh, as what's called ethical egoism. Uh, And that's the the idea that we should do certain actions only because they are in our own best interests. Now, this isn't the place to get into a discussion of moral theories, but let me point out just a couple things. First, it would be a mistake to pontificate about what moral theory is best, what ethical system is the best one, and then try to squeeze the teachings of Scripture into our pre-made ideas, Uh, specifically here, the commands of the Lord Jesus. It would be better to go with what the text of Scripture just says and, well, let the chips fall as they may. Second, this is not the only reasoning we find in the Sermon on the Mount, let alone the only reasoning we find in all of Scripture. So sometimes the moral reasoning is, do such and such because it will be best for you in the end if you do. But sometimes the moral reasoning is, do such and such because it will benefit others or because this is just what God commands, or because that's the kind of person that you are. And there are different ethical theories attached to each of those approaches. Now, if you're interested in thinking about the Sermon on the Mount and how it interacts with these categories of ethicists, I'd encourage you to start by looking at Jonathan Pennington's new book, uh, The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. But in a study like the one we're doing here, I'll have to be content to simply point out that uh, one of the reasons Jesus says we should give in a certain way, as well as fast and pray, is because we see it as a kind of heavenly bank deposit, and we expect that God is watching and, in the right time, will pay us rich dividends. Now, this tests our belief in Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom's arrival. Do we actually believe that God will repay us for our actions? Uh, CNBC has an article entitled, If you invested $1,000 in Apple 10 years ago, here's how much you would have now. Now, it was written in 2018, but they estimate that if you had invested $1,000 a decade ago, it would have turned into about $9,000 today. Now, imagine I told you that I know of a startup company that had a brilliant idea. They're onto something new, but no, wait, I think I know that they are going to be like the new Apple. I've researched them inside and out, and I'm convinced that this company is going to be big. And I guarantee you that if you invest $1,000, very soon it will turn into, let's just say, $100,000. Well, 
Would you actually invest in that company or wouldn't you? Of course, assuming you have the extra money, it would all depend on whether or not you believe me. In the same way, our giving will test how much we really believe the gospel message concerning the kingdom. Now, I used a financial example, and Jesus talks about treasure in verses 19 to 21. But this doesn't mean that the repayment must be financial. Uh, The conclusion wouldn't do justice to the nature of metaphorical speech. But there's some kind of advantage that comes to an individual within the kingdom that corresponds to what he's been doing here. We talked about this earlier in chapter 5 when we considered Jesus' statement about being great in the kingdom versus being least in the kingdom. Uh, So we don't have enough to be precise about it, but somehow uh, what we do here, particularly in the area of giving, will then affect um, our status in the kingdom when it does come. Apparently, not all are the same in the kingdom. Uh, 5.20 says that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees in order to enter, but that seems to be in a different category than what's considered in verses 18 to 19 with God repaying us. So, besides expectation of some sort of repayment, uh, there are other reasons for sacrificial giving. Uh, Consider verses 24 through 34. Uh, Jesus says that no man can serve two masters. He commends sacrificial giving. In fact, he commands sacrificial giving because the disciples are God's servants or slaves and not the slaves of money. He insists that one cannot serve both, either Eventually, our true loyalties will reveal themselves. So, the matter of doing mercy, that is, particularly giving to the poor, should not be seen as a potential option. I suppose that's kind of a downfall, the illustration that I just used with um, an investment opportunity. A person could think, well, my money's my own, I can invest it where I want to, and if I want to accept the risk and make a large investment for the kingdom of God uh, in hopes of a substantial return, that's my prerogative. But if I want to keep my money and use it as I like, I can do as I please. No, that's not the way that it works. We are either slaves of money or slaves of God. And this is practically tested. I like the way John Nolan puts it in his commentary. He says, quote, Since people do not always recognize slave service to mammon for what it is, verses 25 to 34 offer concrete illustrations. Anxiety about the concrete necessities of life is incompatible with the all-encompassing nature of the claims of the kingdom of God, end quote. So, in other words, however much you decide to give, it has to be a reflection of your radical faith that God will provide and the kingdom actually is coming. Whatever it is you decide to give, make sure that you set it aside and do it as unto the Lord and not to men. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.